Welcome to the Shop Notes podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what's on our workbench, new tools, old tools, and new projects to be working on. We're also going to answer a listener question, and we're going to talk about sharpening systems and how to find the one that's going to work for you. Hope you enjoy today's show. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by woodsmithplans.com. At Woodsmith Plans, you'll find your favorite plans from Woodsmith Magazine, ranging from furniture projects to shop projects. Check out woodsmithplans.com for all your woodworking plan needs. All right, John, what's on your workbench? Um, well, I've been into uh, shop projects lately, so I've been fin finishing up uh, the drill press table here for our uh, drill press um, in the video studio, and I've found that we move our drill press around a lot, so now I'm working <laughs> on a uh, mobile, a shop-made mobile base for that, so we can stop uh, walking and waddling the drill press around and marring up the floor, so... I'm always worried about that thing going over too, because yeah, like once you get past a certain pretty early on point, mm, that's yeah. going down. It, it's pretty top heavy, so so I think uh, once I get that done, that'll be a nice uh, addition again for for the shop here. So that's what I'm working on. Yeah, we did have a we had a Powermatic in here, mm -hmm. and it had a mobile base on it. Yep, and it would have been too convenient if. We could just fit. take the base yeah. off and put it on the new Rikon, yeah, but yeah. the Rikon base is, it's much larger. Yes, it's I mean, quite a bit larger, so, which is nice. It makes it really stable, but yeah, so I uh, have to make a new base, which isn't a big deal. It's just, you know, another project. Just but doing it. then we're probably going to need to make a new cart to fit over yes, the base, to fit right? Over that base. <laughs> so it's, yes. It's the domino it's, project. Yeah. It's not one thing. It turns into six yeah, other things. Right. But I, I like building shop projects, so it's it's not too bad, and. It's it's fun, so but something we can all enjoy. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah. What are you working on, Phil? Uh, I got a couple of things going on. The big thing, uh, three, I think that are going on right now is uh, past holiday season. I made a bunch of spoons, mm -hmm. and my original goal at the beginning of 2019. Because I'm kind of interested in making spoons, which I realize is totally a trend thing and makes me a sheep. But mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to space them out throughout the whole sure. year. But part of that is like having the material to do it, A, which I didn't. Mm -hmm. B, actually taking the time to do it. So I ended up making a lot of spoons in a yep. short amount of time. I'd like to continue making them so I don't really feel burned out from it. So that's a mm -hmm. good thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to do a few more in different styles. And I found that if I make multiples of one kind, I feel like it helps me with my skills because sure. you, know, you make the first one and you just kind of make it. And then the other ones, you, kind of, you start to build that muscle memory and you recognize grain patterns mm -hmm. and hand motions or whatever to be able to, that I end up applying to other ones. So uh, the other project is um, once I always finish up my Christmas projects at the beginning of the year, so the January through March or April, mm -hmm. I'm working on upgrades to my shop because in the process of making all this stuff, I'm like, you know, it would be really cool if I had a better jig for doing this or storage for that mm -hmm. or I need to really get rid of this kind of stuff. So I have two shop things that I'm trying to work on. And one is I got a set of chisels from my wife as a wedding gift. Sure. Um, they're pretty nice chisels. I like them because the blades are pretty short on them. Not quite butt chisels, but mm -hmm. not real long bladed. But they have plastic handles that are neither here nor there. Yeah. Just yeah. nothing. So 
uh, you had found some carving gouges, some Barton yeah, carving gouges, yeah, Barton. and I really like those handles, so I'm gonna try turning even though I don't turn, <laughs> and it's just something I don't, haven't ever really had a lot of interest Bill's in. Bill's gonna get turned. Yeah. Hey, can we just note on the tape too that I did not giggle when he said <laughs> butt, butt chisels? So that's, you know, I'm growing up. Yeah, yes. you are. I so appreciate congratulations that. Congratulations to me. So I'm going to try making handles and I'm going to try and make five of them that are identical-ish. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see how that works. So that kind of plays into the same thing. The other is uh, I got at a flea market swap meet from the Des Moines Woodworkers mm -hmm. Association. Uh, from a guy, a little hand crank grinder. Yeah. Uh, one and this one's got a, it's just got a four inch wheel. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a small one, yeah. but it came with two really nice wheels. And I thought that would be too small because it makes too much of a hollow grind or whatever. It's not, it's a no. perfect little tool. Uh, my kids actually love like grinding wood on it and yeah. just kind of messing yeah. around. And mm -hmm. I found it's really handy, sure. but the tool rest on it is pretty stupid. And yeah. I'd like to make something that's a little easier to adjust yeah. and a little bit more friendly towards sharpening tools. So I wanna... Maybe some guides on it or something. Yeah, some, yeah. Uh, just a little better, still a general purpose tool rest, but something that's a little easier to Yeah, because most of them are, are pretty narrow and just right. and dinky. The, the like ones that I've seen are flat bar yeah, of steel, yeah. but this one isn't. This one's kind of like like a half round file. So the, the working surface of it is half round and then it's got a big slot in the middle of it, which will be nice to be yeah. able to attach something to it. But for right now, it's pretty, f I mean, you're already trying to chew gum and walk yeah. at the same time because you're cranking with yeah. one arm and then moving the tool with the other. But now when you have a curved surface in there, it's a lot harder yeah. to mm -hmm. keep angles and sure. stuff. So, Sure. How about you? Uh, so I've kind of taken a step back just to slow down the furniture, or I guess wood project side of things. And I want to chomp through some of these antique tools I bought at auction, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the one of the lots I bought was a, uh, a set of hand saws, which I it was I've I've got tubs of hand saws before, and I just never get around to them. I hate <laughs> cleaning them. I hate getting them tuned up. So usually I get these these a tub of saws, and I just end up giving it away, which is a complete waste of money. Um, and I know whoever I'm giving to is probably not going to do any thing else with them that I wouldn't do. So, uh, but anyways, one of the one of the lots I bought was a set of hand saws. I think there's four or five of them. And really I wanted, there was a, a, a meat saw, a butcher saw in there, which sure. is what I wanted. You know, I do a lot of hunting and, and processing and stuff. Uh, so I wanted that one, but there was uh, four, I think four panel saws. There was a Distin D8, which is in beautiful shape. So I'll probably just mm -hmm. clean it up a little bit and sell it. Um, there was a couple smaller distance and a smaller Atkins saw. Uh, but then there was one that I didn't know what it was, and you know, looking at it um, and putting my feelers out on some of the Facebook groups, uh, I found it's a distant number one twelve, which is kind of a rare saw. They only made it for two two years or so. Mm -hmm. But it's got a lot um, of carving on the handle. Yeah, it has a weak carving on the handle. Um, it was uh, it was the precursor um, to the number twelve uh, from distant. Uh, so it's just kind of a cool saw, uh, not terribly common. So I might I have that on my bench right now, uh, pulled apart and I'm cleaning it up. Um, and I also have gonna flip uh, that one too. Flip or? that one, yeah, yeah. I've I've done this in the past where I will get a huge collection of antique tools uh, or vintage tools, clean them up, and then sell them. And that's kind of how I funded my Lee Nielsen's that I have and my sure. Blue Spruce stuff. Um, so you're pawning off old crappy tools on the unsuspecting public, <laughs> so you can buy exactly premium tools. Exactly what I'm doing. Okay. Um, but no, uh, just so we're actually, clear. Yeah. Yep. No, actually, most of them I will, um, depending on what they are. 
so I ended up with like, and this is a lot, I ended up with about 40 hand planes. Um, it was a bunch of lots together. Um, in total, I ended up with about 40 hand planes. And most of them I'll tune up, get working order, and then sell them as just good users. Um, I was talking to you the other day about some of the, uh, uh, the I don't want to call them rarer ones, but like the bedrocks that sure. I got. They, they don't sell for a ton on eBay uh, by themselves. I mean, they still sell, you know, the number five bedrocks still sell for about $100. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. If I part them out, the, the parts, you know, separated all told are about $200. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I kind of feel dirty for taking a beautiful bedrock and stripping it apart. It's like, you know, taking the tires off of somebody's right. pinto and selling them and then selling the rest of it but yeah. old you know, tool chop shop it's an old tool t- chop shop but you know i have a couple tubs of simple green in my shop right now that have mm-hmm. parts soaking yeah. clean them up and start listing them on ebay so it'll it'll be an adventure it'll be fun uh i hope to make a little money on it and you could make lots of people happy that make way. lots so of people exactly and yeah. maybe fun day saw stop for my yeah. shop we'll see yeah that happened to me one time where I was rehabbing a plane all I needed was the handle for it yes so I ended up on ebay buying a whole hand plane just, just to take the handle <laughs> off of it and then sold what was left over because yeah. all I needed was that handle. Yeah. So it would have been nice if somebody was just selling the handle. Yeah, but. and it was interesting. You know, and it's it's funny because I think that there are, you know, the last couple of weeks I've been keeping an eye on eBay really heavily, heavily more than I ever have really because I have all these planes that I want to, to make my money back on and then some, you know, I, I want to make a profit on them. I'm not doing this necessarily for fun even though I do enjoy it. Um, and there are many, many sellers on eBay that that's all they do. And they just buy hand plane parts mm-hmm. and then they resell them or they buy hand planes and sell them. And obviously a lot of them are on the East Coast, kind of the original 13 colonies. Sure. Tends to be more hand tools on that side of the, the states. But uh, it's fun. It's an interesting world. It's it's fun to, to mess around in and hopefully I can make a little money on it. There you so, go. So, yeah. But, uh, so we had a, um, you guys ready for a, Reader question, viewer question. Love it. Okay. So on Facebook, we had a uh, uh, post published on the Woodsmith Shop Facebook page. Um, this is from uh, Steve Anderson. Uh, so Steve said, I'm asking for some advice. Uh, I am making the wooden coasters from the December, January edition of the magazine, um, which those would be a uh, Paduke and Wenge, Wenge mm-hmm. uh, coasters. They're kind of cool. Uh, he is trying to make them look more like what is pictured. I'm assuming he did not have the Paduke. Um, so he dyed the inserts red by mixing a water-based dye and then submerging the inserts into them for about 10 seconds. Uh, he said now, 24 hours later, they seem to have swelled a little bit and they no longer fit in the outer ring. Uh, should he wait another day or so before he adjusts the inserts to fit, he would hate to sand them to fit and then glue them together only to have them shrink later and pull away from the, the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, any advice would be welcome. So I responded back to him. I wanna know what you guys think uh, before I read my reply back to him. Yeah, okay. I would definitely wait the day or two. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, it's gonna take on some water and it will swell up a little bit. So yeah. maybe wait for that to dry out and maybe even set something heavy on it so it doesn't end up warping or doing something Cupping, weird. Yeah. Or, that so that's yeah play the waiting game first right I would definitely wait because I feel like uh, even though it doesn't seem like it's been in the water a long time it takes a remarkably a long time for a piece of wood to release that water Mm -hmm. 
even though it doesn't seem like much was absorbed, more than you probably thought was being absorbed. And I know that we had a couple of projects around here where uh, I can think of two instances. One, where uh, we were gluing together, laminating two pieces of plywood, Baltic mm -hmm. birch plywood, and used just regular tight bond glue and put it together and glued it up, had it clamped, and it was clamped and flat, you know, on a flat surface, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Took the clamps off the next day, and within a couple of hours, it went all potato chip. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was some consternation around here about, you know, see, we shouldn't have done that, blah, 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 now it's ruined, we gotta start all over. And the guy who was working on it actually started on a new version of that mm -hmm. piece. And then what ended up happening was got to be a weekend, went through the weekend, came back, and the original part totally flattened out. Sure. Went back to being dead flat, could have used it, mm -hmm. but it was already kind of too late. And, and then another time we had, uh, uh, Chris had come up with a technique for making a laminated bench top where you'd take like, let's say two by sixes, mm -hmm. and instead of, and to get a three inch bench top, Rather than just stacking them and gluing them, he offset them so sure. that one piece was overlaying the joint line of the row below it. So and not edge grain, face grain. Not yeah, face grain. So and it was edge grain too, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was this big stack, and people were griping about whether that technique was actually going to work out, or they had never seen it before, and blah blah blah. And it, again, glued it up just because there's a ton of glue that's involved, mm -hmm. not only in the lamination mm -hmm. faces, but in the edge grain faces too or edge grain edges, and glued up, pulled the clamps off once the glue was dry, and it cupped. And see, Chris, you came up with a, something totally ridiculous. Again, it was like two weeks, three weeks later, that thing leveled out flat, and it's still flat. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you really have to allow, whether it's glue or water-based finish or... Uh, die on things like that. You really need to just let it go. Yeah. So my response back uh, to Steve, uh, Basil was talking about, so a couple months ago, we had Type Bond in. Uh, we shot some promotional videos with Type Bond um, uh, in partnership with them. And one of the videos that I shot in particular was with, um, I was talking to, to Bob from Type Bond about raised glue lines. Okay, And this may be something that uh, somebody has seen other projects in the past and they don't know what it's from. So after you've glued up a project and you've sanded it a couple of days later, it feels like that glue line is sitting above the surface. You can feel a little ridge of glue just on the joint line. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is it's a raised glue line. And that is from gluing up stock, right? Clamping it together, glue sets and dries. You pull the clamps off and you sand that glue line down, finish your project. World's great until you fill the glue line a couple days later. And what's happening is the, the wood itself is soaking up moisture from the glue, okay? And the wood fibers are swelling. Now, it's not a whole lot, but if you don't wait for that moisture to evacuate the wood, what's happening is you're sanding swollen fibers, and when they shrink down, the glue doesn't shrink, and it's left above the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, so my response to Steve was, you know, definitely wait. Type Bond suggests for glue lines like that, to wait for three days. So I told Steve, you know, I would definitely wait 24 hours additional, uh, if not 48 hours. Wait for yeah. th wait for a couple, three, four days. Um, make sure they're dry. I mean, it's winter here in Iowa. I'm, I don't know where Steve's at, um, but it's really dry here. Stuff's drying fairly quickly, but I would give it, 
a number of days just mm -hmm. to, to settle down. So, and as a follow-up, um, one of our live view, uh, studio audience members asked, will condensation cause those coasters to swell back up and affect the glue? Yeah, when you set a drink on yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I believe that was Type Bond 3 glue. Yeah. So Type Bond 3 is uh, waterproof. Once mm -hmm. it is cured, um, Type Bond 2 is water resistant. Right. Um, hide glue is not. Yeah. Um, and we've also finished the coasters too, so that's yes. going to limit, well, once you apply finish to it, yeah. that's going to limit what kind of um, expansion or contraction is going to happen. Exactly. Too. And I think mm -hmm. um, if anybody has uh, seen the coasters we're, we're talking about, they are kind of a lattice work. Right. Right. Um, there's a lot of airflow that can happen around them, and the coasters are larger than most drinks that you would be sitting on them. So the glue joint, which is around the perimeter, I don't think it's going to get wet. No. Um, unless your, your drink's offset. But even then, I don't think it's going to have an effect necessarily on no. the glue. I think you so. just have tiny drinks. I might just have <laughs> tiny drinks. <laughs> you need a bigger drink. I, I guess. I guess. I need the, the 40 ounces. Yeah. So, so. Have, you, have you come across that, John, You know, from all the projects that you've done and props for the TV show? on having pieces warp because of glue or moisture changes? I haven't. I'm usually the type of person that lets things um, cure for a long time, like at least 24 hours. I see a lot of people will glue something up and they take it out of the clamps 15 minutes later and they start working on it. And I don't know, that's always just giving me the heebie-jeebies, like if it's going to hold or <laughs> I not. I think so, Steve does that. Yeah, I and mean, they just keep moving. It's yeah. like I hey. am the type of person that's like, it's going to you know, dry for 24 hours to over a weekend or you know that kind yeah. of thing. So I've been pretty lucky there that I haven't had um, too many things warp or, or do you know, weird stuff or blow apart. You know, later. So he's also the guy that attaches shelves to the wall with 15 screws yes. that are eight <laughs> inches yes. long. I'm kind of a. a I think that comes from my mechanical engineering background, where it's like, you know, what if we launch this into space and it explodes or something? Yeah. It's like, if so. somebody were to park a dump truck on these wall cabinets, right. exactly, yeah, they're so. not coming down. So yeah, so I've been pretty lucky, but you know, day's not over yet, so I could have some, <laughs> you know, go wrong yet. So. Yeah. All right, well, real quick, uh, last week we talked about, Phil, uh, you were sharpening some of your uh, carving gouges right. and some other tools that you haven't sharpened in the past. So I want to talk real quick about sharpening. Okay. What's your sharpening system and kind of see what the difference between our sharpening systems are that we have at sure. home because that's another kind of hot topic is right. sharpening and how I get my stuff sharp. Yeah, and we can get into technique at some point, but I don't think yeah. I want to do that right now. But I will say that one of the best worst parts of working at a woodworking magazine mm -hmm. is that you're exposed to everything. Yeah. And it's really easy to, um, you know, because we edit each other's articles. Yeah. So we're all going to have a different take on some things and we're going to write about that in a way that's enthusiastic. So, mm -hmm. you know, we'll have somebody come around and talk about, water stones and how fast they cut and yeah. blah 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 and it's like man i need to totally get a bunch of water stones exactly. you know? and then yeah. somebody will come around through and you know and uh write about yeah. oil stones or diamond stones yeah. or diamond paste and blah 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 and it's like oh yeah totally i mean my tools would be way sharper if i used <laughs> it's <laughs> exactly. the like don't watch infomercials at three o'clock in the morning with a credit card yeah, in reach. Exactly. it's just one of those life lessons yeah. that you just need to learn so over time uh and I came to Woodsmith, and I knew some woodworking, but mm -hmm. when I came here, I realized just how much I didn't know. Yeah. And so I started, and I ended up 
getting some water stones, and I thought that they would be great, and they did work really well, but I don't know if it's a combination of me being lazy or uh, just not understanding them real well. Sure. Probably was the big thing is they, it seemed like they dished out super fast for sure. me. And it might have just been the stones, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just did not like having to mess with, having to flatten them, like, every time you pointed at them, mm-hmm. you know. And then, again, uh, my workshop has always been, like, in the basement of our house, which was not really conditioned, so it would get sure. cold down there. And I just didn't want to have to worry about going Freezing, down there once and, yeah. or forgetting them down there and ending up with, you know, water stone gravel kind of exactly. thing. So I've gone to oil stones for my uh, plain irons and chisels sure. and things like that. But uh, we did an article on like honing router bits mm-hmm. and got those little, they're almost like toothbrush length diamond like paddles. The easy lap paddles. The easy lap yeah, paddles. Yeah. Yep. And uh, they have... Uh, a variety of grits. And I had originally got the fine and the super fine for router bits, mm-hmm. and they work great for that. But I also found that it's ideal for small tools that you can't really put in honing guides. Sure. So like my pocket knife, uh, my shop knives, and kitchen knives, I use mm-hmm. that on there. And then I started using them on carving tools because I've been picking up more carving tools, but yeah. I don't do a lot of carving. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sharpening them all that often, so I don't have that built-in muscle memory. Sure. And I feel like having those paddles real close to me where I can see them and then feel that motion and see that I'm, you know, as I sweep the gouge back and forth on that, I can really see what's going on and it's real close. You know, when I'm doing the same thing with a big stone, a wide stone, I don't feel like I have that same control or understanding of what's going on. Sure. So I guess that's my, I have two oil stones that I use for chisels and plain irons and spoke shaves and things Mm -hmm. like that. And then the diamond paddles that I use for all the wackadoodle shaped tools. Yeah, and you use a honing guide for the for yeah mo- for most of your yeah chisels honing guide for sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you use John. Um, well, a little confession. My uh, sharpening process here at work is I find the community chisels and I'll use it and I'm like oh that's dull and then I put it back and right keep, <laughs> right. keep doing that yeah. until somebody else gets sick, sick of it and, and sharpens, sharpens it. It takes so, a village, really. Yeah. 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 So don't tell yeah. Chris because he's usually the one yeah. that snaps and then just like <laughs> sharpens Hopefully everything and then like, three days sharpening like yeah. muttering yeah. and just like you know, apologizing so, in advance for but Chris. um yeah at home i like you said there's like we've done all these articles on different processes and and you get like frantic about like which one should i use but i found that like uh just using like the sheet of glass on a piece of plywood with the different kinds of sandpaper oh yeah uh really works for Mm -hmm. me because i can just you know go hang that up and that's when i'm you know doing a lot of you know uh sharpening of like a new type chisel but then i i just keep a like a water stone like the two-sided water stone oh yeah inside um and if it's you know keep it in the water it's ready to go when i need to to hone up something real quick and and you know i found that works for me and yeah, it's good enough. Cool. So. so you know, every all these sharpening things seem to be six of one, half dozen of another. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. It's they all, for the most part, end in a sharp tool, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I started with when I started into hand tools, it was a couple sheets of sandpaper on top of a marble slab. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of the scary sharp method. Yeah, and that worked, but I found it got fairly expensive fairly quickly because that that cloth backed. A wet dry sandpaper is not cheap no by any means 
Um, so I then uh, found an older gent here in town that was retiring from woodworking, kind of, I don't know if he's moving in a nursing home, but he was selling out his entire wood shop, which was in, you know, kind of like a 16 by 16 shed in his backyard. Okay. And I bought a set of really nice King Waterstones from him um, for dirt cheap. You know, I think I paid maybe 60 bucks for five stones and they all looked unused um, and they all had Japanese writing on them. So I don't know what the heck they really <laughs> were, but he had written the grits on the edge and I found they cut really nice. They cut really quick. Yeah. Um, the Like you said, the Waterstones do dish. Um, I think I think the the pros to Waterstones is they cut fast. Right. They're fairly inexpensive. Um, I, think, for the I most would say part. so. Um, they're easy to find. They're easy mm -hmm. to find. Um, the cons are they're soft. You know, I gouge when I first started using them, I gouged a few of them um, yeah. because it's easy to tilt a plain iron a little bit and gouge the, the corner. Um, but I I enjoyed those. But once I started traveling a little bit more to um, you know teach seminars and stuff I found carrying a tote of water with water stones mm -hmm. around was a pain in the butt and yeah, then I would always sloshing around yeah. and well then a mess. and then I would steal our car mat from the video studio yep. and then yep. people would be asking hey where's the car mat at and I had it um, I think that's for my wife's car yeah so. <laughs> There's only one car probably not listening to this yes. so it's fine <laughs> uh, so I actually sold my water stones and I switched to oil stones and what I like about oil stones are, uh, I, my three stones are in wood boxes. It's small, fits in my tool tote that I carry around. Um, mm -hmm. I have a little uh, Eagle 66 oil can I carry with them, and it's great. You know, yeah. I have a, a hard Arkansas, a hard black Arkansas, and a soft Arkansas. Oh, okay. um, those kind of my, my grits, and a leather strap. Oh. And yep. it, it works great for almost everything. I. Uh, when I got my water stones, I started to learn to freehand sharpen, and I feel like that's helped me with you know some weird oddball stuff. Um, like uh, one of my favorite tools is a scrub plane. Oh, okay. And sharpening that really sharp sure. camber on that is nice right. to do freehand, um, and I find it, it just is fast. Um, you know, mm -hmm. am I holding an exact twenty-five degree angle every time? Absolutely not. not. Yeah. But um, you know, for the most part, I hollow grind everything on, I have a Rikon wet dry grind, or wet grinder, kind of like okay. the Tormec, okay. uh, you know, knockoff Tormec. Yep. Um, and I hollow grind all my, my irons um, and my chisels, um, so I can usually establish a pretty good reference surface, um, just the tip and the heel of the bevel, right. and, and freehand them pretty well. Okay. Um, so that's kind of my, uh, my go-to. Um, I do need to add an oil slipstone. Sure. Because I don't have one, um, so I would like to add a natural slipstone to my uh, sharpening kit, uh, and I would like to figure out some sort of self-contained box for it all. I have a, a cool picture I found of of a wood one that holds the stones and flips down that I'll make at some point. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, sharp tools. More about being making it convenient. It Whether is, it's yeah. just like a simple, the mm -hmm. two-sided water stone that's always soaking that you just pull it out and use it, or. Yeah having the tools that you need close by or yeah. finding a system that you're just comfortable yeah. with. So the moral of the story, yeah, just find something that's simple that you'll actually use and yeah. you'll use it more often and your tools will stay sharper. And yeah, yeah. So. and you get better at sharpening too because you're just going to do yep. it more often. Right. And maybe for uh, next Christmas we buy John a piece of glass and sandpaper for the shop. Oh. There we go. See so, you guys. Yeah. We're always nice. thinking. You're welcome.
That's it for the Shop Notes podcast today. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. And also connect with us on Facebook at Woodsmith Magazine and on Instagram too. So otherwise, if you have any other questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you and what's going on on your workbench. We'll see you next week. See ya. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been known for more than 40 years for building high-quality furniture projects for every part of your home, from kitchen accessories to shop projects. You'll find all kinds of information to help you become a better woodworker. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.